Before we get started with this week's episode, we're really excited to remind you about this cool event happening. It's an annual event at RevRoad called the RevRoad Entrepreneur Competition sponsored by Central Bank. We're giving away $14,500 in cash prizes at the event. We're looking for more applications. So to apply, if you have a startup, uh, you want to apply for the competition, you apply at comp.revroad.com. And hurry because applications are only open until August 13th at midnight. Again, it's comp.revroad.com. Super fun day, September 17th, 2022. You'll see all the greatest startups and all the cool companies that are building their their models and their products and their services and their technology at this one event, one of the largest competitions in the state. Hope to see you there. We're excited for another week of the Midnight Founders podcast. Today, we had a great conversation with Spencer Barclay from Saveology. He talked a lot about the financial literacy in the United States and the gap that he sees that he's trying to fill with his company. Huge. Yeah, Yeah, it's incredible. He had a lot of uh, interesting statistics about the average U.S. adult is saving versus other uh, developed countries and how he hopes that that's different in the future. Yeah. It was a great conversation. I'm excited to let you guys listen and meet Spencer. You're going to love it. They're doing a lot to uh, help the world with their finances. Welcome back to the Midnight Founders Podcast. Today, we are here with Spencer Barclay with Saveology. Super excited to have you here, Spencer. We're excited to dive in. You ready? Thank you. I am ready, and I'm excited to be here, too. He said he's been on a couple podcasts before, so he's seasoned vet. We have a professional with us. (laughs) Yes, we do. I'm still waiting for the invites to the big podcast. (laughs) Uh, This is the invite to the big podcast. (laughs) We're talking some of these podcasts out there that have millions of listeners every week. Oh, we'll be there. That's what I'm hoping. Next week. And then I'll come back when we get... (laughs) When we get... Yeah, when we get million, we'll get you back. Spencer, you think this is the only time, but it's going to be like a recurring theme with you, I'm sure. I'm excited. Very cool. We'll call Joe and see if we can get you on his. Yeah. No. no, he'll be like, no, I mean, I have Spencer on all the time, so yeah. you guys can have him as much as you want. Um, Spencer, man, it's good to have you here. Um, you've been doing the entrepreneur game for a while, right? I have. And this is startup. I mean, you've, you've got an exit under your belt. I know that. And um, you've done like three or four startups. Where are you at right now? Well, it's, it's tough to keep track with specific numbers because you don't know what to count. Right? Yeah, like right. does my first real estate investment startup yeah. with my family count? I don't know if that counts or not. Does my first co-founding experience count of a technology company? I'd probably say that one counts. Yes. Um, then I help build a law firm. Like, does that one count? Not mm-hmm. my company. Definitely helped and contributed along the way. I count that one. Definitely count the exit. Mm-hmm. Now this one. So Lemonade somewhere stands. between one and eight. Okay. We'll, we'll say. <laughs> there we go. I would count them all. I, I would like too. That. Like I, selling selling uh, lemonade. When I you're sold a kid. vegetables the door to door. Yeah, see from that counts. The garden. My so parents didn't know that for a long time. They <laughs> They're like, this garden might. sucks. We never grow anything. And Spencer's yeah. out there in the dark at night stealing all the vegetables. And I swear them. it's a pumpkin, <laughs> and yet it looks like a squash or a zucchini. One of our neighbors ratted me out for that. <laughs> oh, I called my terrible. parents. Do you know that your son's selling us vegetables? Sorry, I made a little bit of money while the while the going was good. Why not? Somebody's Why not? doing that with my garden this year. My garden sucks. Oh, mine is terrible too. Where did it all start, Spencer? How did you get into this entrepreneur journey and where where does this spirit come from? Tell us about that. I, th- I think it comes from my home life a uh-huh. little bit. In the late 1990s, when I was about 10 years old, I watched my dad start a company. Oh. And I saw, looking from outside, right? I saw some of the things that went on, the branding, the creation of the logo, yeah. the naming, the getting started, the forming and the partnerships and relationships and the phone calls and the sales calls. 
And I don't think I realized how much of a role that played in my life until a few years later when I started getting the same itch of like, I've seen my dad build a company, like why don't I do something? And started out with small ventures along the way, but hearing and seeing that in the home goes a long way because I knew it was possible, right? It was no longer just a risk that other people take. It was a part of life. And I think that's where- And you talked about it at the dinner table and what happened today and fired five people today, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Yep, for sure. So I grew up relatively young with that. And even before then, we had some small entrepreneurial spirit. Our parents encouraged us to do a lot of things, buying and selling baseball cards, lemonade stands, these vegetables. Um, so I, th- I think it runs in the family. <laughs> they didn't necessarily encourage all of it, but some yeah. of it just happened organically. Yeah. <laughs> Organic. That's what... Jake, look at you. Wow. See, but the funny thing is, even throughout that experience, I didn't think I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like that isn't how I viewed myself. No one ever wakes up saying, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It's astronaut. It's fireman. It's all those things, right? My eight-year-old would disagree. He, uh, he wants to be an entrepreneur good today, but he wanted to be a you know policeman a week ago. Good so for you. it changes really frequently, but I wanted to be a lawyer. That's oh, from the cool. time I was five. I was cool. like, I am going to law school. I'm going to be a lawyer. Cool. My plans evolved along the way. And I thought that maybe I would go to law school just to build and run a firm. So that entrepreneurial spirit, but maybe in more of a traditional fashion and and then I di- diverted from that plan a little bit more. Along the way. Sounds like a cool journey. So now you're doing Saveology. Tell us about Saveology. And you got the socks to, to match with it. I love you that. You like those? These are new. Yeah. We had a team activity on Friday. Oh, nice. And gave everyone um, some socks to celebrate the closure of a new fundraising round. So we were excited about that. Um, but a little bit about Saveology. You know, we've come a long ways just in this entrepreneurial venture. So our, our company is a financial wellness platform. And we deliver financial wellness through employers as a benefit. Um, A lot of people call that a financial wellness benefit. But we also sell through financial advisors where they can use our technology and our software with their own clients or to take to employers as well. And, you know, the the end user is still a consumer. It's an everyday individual or a household to help them manage their finances and do their own personal Mm -hmm. financial planning. But we just have to sell it through other avenues. And those are usually employers and advisors. So cool. All right, I'm really interested to know, like, how did you get in this financial wellness path? Is it something that you've always been interested in, or is this kind of like some of the earlier startups led you to this? Or, yeah, how did you get there? Definitely the earlier startups led me to this. I would say in college I found not a, necessarily a passion early on for personal finance, but I found that I was good at finance in general, and, and that's what led me to my first venture and, and then those compounded on top of each other. So when I look at what we're doing now, which is holistic financial planning and financial wellness, it involves a lot of areas of personal finance, everything from budgeting to credit and financial planning and retirement planning and estate planning. That covers more than most people have experience with, but because I had other ventures, I was able to bring all of those together to create this holistic financial wellness that includes all of those things. So first venture in that credit, repair area, right? I learned all about managing credit, improving credit scores, and people need that on a day-to-day basis. The way that we did it back then might not have been the exact same way we do it now, but I learned lessons from that that we brought in here. And estate planning, it's one of those areas that most people don't think about when they're young, but young people need estate planning too. We're doing a webinar in just a couple weeks about estate planning for young families because it helps mitigate risk. And then, you know, our retirement planning company at Benefit Guard, we built a 401k provider for small businesses. And 
I think that's where the crux of the idea really came from is seeing that people weren't saving enough money, but I combined all of those experiences to bring it all into Saveology. Were you surprised, Spencer, getting into this industry, how little education there is about some of these topics? Over time, or, I mean, or even I, knowledge about it. Yeah, I mean, I would say I was surprised every step along the way as I discovered new statistics behind this. Right, like mm-hmm. I was surprised when we were doing credit repair to see the things that people were defaulting on. Um, the number one mark on someone's credit report, statistically across our client base, was Victoria's Secret credit cards. Like people got credit cards and then they didn't pay them off because they weren't thinking about them. Wow. Number two was student loans, which is a little more understandable. Then I was surprised, again, at Benefit Guard to see the percentage of people that took full advantage of their company match on a 401k plan. Right, The company is essentially saying, we will give you free money if you put some money into your retirement. And only about 40% of the population was taking full advantage of that match. And for me, that was heartbreaking. It, it came down to financial literacy and awareness. Right, They didn't understand why they were doing it or what they were doing it. And, and so I wanted to change some of those elements. And then financial literacy itself, right? Test scores around personal finances are really low. Um, with millennials, like less than 10% of, of millennials consider themselves to be financially literate. Mm. So combine all of those and we found there is a behavior gap and there's a knowledge gap and you have to do a little bit of both to address them together in order to drive lasting changes. So Central Bank cool. uses Saveology, so I'm familiar with the product and I'm, uh, you know, I've been through the program and met with one of your financial advisors and I think you guys do a great job um, is that really your target is, is, uh, the business side, like a business to business? Um, or is, are you looking for the, the end user? It's definitely the business to business side it is at least the monetization play. And we had to test that product with the end user. We went direct to consumer for the first 16 months of Saveology and, and proved out our financial planning application over 80,000 surveys and you know, 35,000 users in order to show that what we were doing could be effective, but there weren't as good or as strong of monetization paths in those channels. And it's interesting because people my age don't want to pay for those results. Like they expect a lot of free things. There are some great tools out there that do free budgeting, for example. And so they've become accustomed to not paying for some of these things. And I mean, it's the same thing like, would we rather pay for McDonald's or do we want to go pay more to get a salad? And a lot of people choose the two to five dollars at McDonald's instead of the ten dollars for a salad. Mm-hmm. And that's where we found on the direct to consumer side is that people didn't want to pay for the whole financial planning experience on their own. But if you get an employer that recognizes the value to their employees and the return that they get on it as a company, they're willing to pay for it which then improves both sides. And so we had to find those right paths to monetization and employers ended up being one of the best ones for us. And a lot of that first, those early days you were with Rev Road and we were working with you a little bit on helping understand what the, you know, the audience and the consumer wanted. And that was really good learning. I was impressed that you went right to the market and understood from them, what do they need and how can we build our product to, to match those needs? Yeah. A ton of learning. Um, yeah. One of the interesting things about Saveology joining RevRoad was how early we were yeah. in it, right? We were essentially pre-product and we had mapped out what we were going to do. We had done all the research on our markets and we knew that there was a big need and a big demand for it. Maybe the one of the parts that we didn't know was that monetization side of how can we get those users to pay? You know, can we do that through affiliate products or subscriptions? So we learned those things along the way, but the core product stayed fundamentally the same, which is providing 
financial plans and financial planning to the mass market, right? Not just the financial planning that someone would do with a traditional financial planner that would cost a couple thousand dollars, but what does the everyday person need in a financial plan to be successful, to set their financial goals and achieve financial security? And we learned, we learned very quickly what those lessons were and how we could get through them. And it makes for a long entrepreneurial journey for sure, but I think that's part of the battle. And when I read books like The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, he talks about the fantastic book, by the way. I, I love that book. I, I don't reread a lot of books, but that's one I've that's read one, a few huh? times because he talks about the grit that it takes to get through this journey. And, and many successful founders look back at their time and they just say, I never gave up because there are times along this journey and previous journeys where the difference between make or break would have been me just thrown in, in the cards and saying that I'm done or that it's not working the right way. And instead we have to make changes and we evolve as a business to get to a point where we can be successful. And you know, it took us 18 months, but then we started seeing that increase in traction and now month over month growth for nine months in a row makes us happy. Finally seeing some of the, the fruits of our, our labor. Cool. That's awesome. Um, so I'm interested to know, you said earlier that uh, only 40% of people take advantage of the employer match. What's the statistics with the amount of people that are taking advantage of Saveology as part of the, you know, if their business is offering it to the employees, is that a higher percentage because it's a lower cost to kind of participate or what is that? that that's an amazing question. And I had never thought about those two side by side before, but it's actually relatively similar. Mm-hmm. We, so at high adoption companies will be as high as 60%, but on average, we're about 35% adoption, meaning a company comes, they are paying for it for their employees and they are telling them, we offer you free financial wellness, which includes financial coaching, one-on-one calls with a coach that will help you improve your personal finances, not sell you anything, just walk you through the basics of budgeting or insurance or whatever you need in your life. And yet we have 35%. Even still, they don't take advantage. I mean, it's, there is an awareness factor in that, right? And certain companies, an HR manager will take that as their own project to get it to as many people as possible. But there are still people out there that say, I don't need that, or it's not for me. And we would love for that to be close to a hundred percent because we believe that our, not only our platform, but our coaches do have something to offer from everyone from the the high school dropout that just started at the company making minimum wage all the way up to the C-level. People all need help with their personal finances. We have somewhere around 100,000 data points specific to people's financial profiles, and less than 0.1% of those have an A grade in our score. We have a report card system that shows that. So less than 0.1% actually are an A across the board. We have a lot of A minuses and people who are close, but even they need a little bit of help. Someone just to wake them up or tell them the one or two things missing in their financial life. And We want to be able to help everyone and it, it pings me to see that not everyone is taking advantage of it. So what's been most surprising to you, Spencer, seeing is it the fear of finances that people have, or is it just the lack of understanding? Or what, what has been surprising to you with all that, that data and that knowledge that you're getting from your consumers? Yeah. When we look at our company name, it's Savology, right? It's the science and study of savings. And we like to think of it as the science of savings because there are ways to help people improve their money. But it still surprises me to see the average savings rates across the board in the United States because we have... Um, I mean, we've seen for a long time now that we need to save money. Everyone knows they need money put away for something, and yet we don't do enough about that. Like the average savings rate in America ranges from 4% to 13%, depending on certain studies that you look at. 
But if you compare that to other OECD countries, like some of those are 20 to 30%. Japan is consistently between 30 and 50%. And they're just, they value savings in a way that our consumerism and consumer-driven economy doesn't. And it comes at a cost and comes with self-discipline. But I look towards the future to say, hey, we can't keep that up forever. Like we can't save 4% of our income and hope for the best in retirement because we're, we're gone, you know, gone are the days where pensions dominated the corporate world. We now live in a defined contribution economy where our retirement will be provided by ourselves, our own savings, and then subsidized by a social security program. But you know, 40 years from now, we might look at that and say that a social security program has to do more than subsidize it because we don't have enough in savings. So I, that really surprises me is you know, what this average savings rate is. Um, the other one that I see really consistently that surprises me is how little people know about personal finance because I look at my financial life and everything that I have to do, right? My credit, how do I optimize my credit score? What is a good credit score? How do I get good interest rates on my cards? How do I get loans for the things that I need? All the way to the other side of it is budgeting. What should I be budgeting? Like, What's a good rate? What's a good savings rate? Insurances. You know, th- it, I feel like this is an everyday part of my life, so I should deal with it. And yet, when we talk to people, they know very little mm-hmm. about the financial system that they live in. And if they can learn more, they can take advantage of that in a different way. And that's a message we want to send. Yeah, it seems important to be able to share that message that you can do it one step at a time because you know, personal finance is a super overwhelming thing for people that don't spend every day in it. And and do you feel like, is that, you mentioned consumerism and I'm sure there's an element there, but is that, do you feel like that's uh, uh, like the education system, not really preparing people for these things or is there other things involved with that? I mean, certainly the education system is not preparing people for these things. Utah was the first state back in 2006 or 2007 to institute a requirement for a financial literacy course to graduate from high school. And that's a great first step, but also think about all the things that you learned in high school that you don't remember now. And until it becomes your reality, it's hard to bind that, right? Like I don't remember how to file taxes before I've ever had to file taxes, even if I learned that in school. And so that is- Even still, I don't know how to do it. We have someone else do it, right? (laughs) Exactly. And- that so that there is a failing in the fi- in the education system, but education alone and financial literacy lo- alone has a pretty low correlation with financial outcomes. You have to do more than just learn the information. You also have to establish learn good and hobbies do, and yeah. learn and do. Yes, yeah. I'm really fascinated by this four to thirteen percent because it's actually higher than I expected it to be. Uh, what because did you think I, it I read, be, Jake? Well, I read something the other day that said that like seventy percent of the households in the U.S. are living paycheck to paycheck. So they're like not saving anything, right? Yeah, and it seems like there's another stat where there's most of America has thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars in credit card debt yep. at any given time. Is and, that right? and all of those are right. The reason why that stat is so broad is because it's like what do you what do you count as savings? Yeah, do that's you, what do I was you count ask. as savings the money that you put into your savings account or your retirement account. Yeah. But what about if you have interest that's growing at a faster rate than that savings you're putting away? Technically you're net negative. And a lot of the data will say millennials are net negative in their savings because of student loan interest and borrowing at a faster rate than they're putting it away. And so there are big populations that are net negative in their savings. Um, so we track this internally with Savology data and you know we found a 12.5% as an average savings rate among our users, but you know that's not the everyday user. Right. You know, we don't have as many users that are making 30 to 50,000 
for example, a lot more of our users make 80 to 150 or in professional jobs. So they save at a slightly different clip than other yeah. people. Well, and it's the 35% that, or the 40% or 60% of the company that took advantage of the, yeah. the program, right? So they're the ones that actually care or want to know and are probably more inclined to save that money. I think uh, what you're doing is great um, and making it uh, usable and appealing to a broader audience is a huge, huge problem that you're trying to solve. And, I think and so simple. I mean, having gone through it myself, it is so simple. And I think that's what people need is that simplification so it's not overwhelming and they, they at least can get started, you know? Yeah, it's a battle. You know, when, when we look at what we've done in the company and where we've come in the company, I think when I look back, one of the things I most think about is like, are we doing the right thing and are we um, hitting the right people? Are we simplifying it the right way? And in entrepreneurship, you often have to fight those battles. Like you question yourself at every turn. And even though we get good user feedback in a lot of ways, you then look at a different metric and ask yourself, well, what are we doing wrong here, right? Because not everything works out. Be nice if all metrics all improved at the same rate together so that we know everything's going well. Instead, we know one thing's going well, like a user experience or our financial coaching calls, like these make a big difference in people. But then I look at the other side to say, I need to get 10 times more people doing financial coaching calls. And we haven't figured that out yet. So we have to do that. And then how do we report back to employers what strides their employees are making? So we still have a lot of work left to do in it, even though we have come. Well, we'll let you know if we figure out how to get to a million downloads. Okay, good. <laughs> when, not when. Yeah, well, yeah, when. yeah, yeah. When yeah. we figure it out, we'll let you know That's what right. the secret. You sauce should try is. distribution through employers. <laughs> Maybe it's part Make of their it health mandatory. plan. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. their financial plan. You have to plan, listen right? to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, Spencer, you've been in the game for a while. You're doing the entrepreneurship thing, and you're killing it. Um, this is the Midnight Founders podcast. So, what makes you a Midnight Founder? Ranking away, midnight, making it happen. Tell us about that. Yeah, I once again, I learned the value of hard work growing up. Um, in that business that my dad started, we had to work there all summer long. And his phrase was, you either come to work voluntarily and get paid, or I drag you to work and you work and you don't get paid. And so I, I learned how to work hard relatively young, and I, I brought some of those lessons with me. You know, starting our first business, I was doing that all outside of my nine to five. And so you're doing a nine to five during the day to help pay for this other venture. And then you're putting in another 30 or 40 hours on top of that just to get a new venture off the ground. And, you know, I think that is part of the midnight founders equation, but not everyone falls in that same category of working full time and then doing your venture, right? Others, it's just a full time endeavor and then some to create just the venture on its own. And at Saveology, I had, I would say the privilege of being able to focus full-time on Saveology, right? I left the company that purchased Benefit Guard after my 18-month acquisition buyout. I left that. Congratulations, by the way. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it felt it felt really good to, to get that win. I hit a couple bucket list items, didn't it? Just it, that it, one thing. It did. Yeah, that had a few bucket list items in it. And then the things that I was able to do changed my life, like paying off student loans and you know, buying the car that I wanted. And Tell us um, what that car is again, Spencer. Well, it's the Tesla Model 3. Yes. That, that was the dream car. I had to and wait it's amazing. for like 18 months just to get the car. Now now you can get them in just a couple of weeks. But at that time, I had to wait 18 months. I love it. it. Every time I see it, I'm like, that's Spencer's dream. And he reached it. That's so cool. It's the first car I've ever had that I felt satiated with, right? Like I haven't been looking for the next car to buy because I'm just happy with it. Anyway, cool. that, that's a side story for another day. 
you know, I had the privilege of working on Saveology full time after that. Like I had three months of just prep work on Saveology market research where we did over a thousand surveys and a hundred one-on-one interviews and a couple focus groups just to even figure out what we were going to do with a new company. And you know, I got to put in 40 hours just on naming the company, right? Me and my wife brainstorming everything and taking road trips and long drives and searching domains. And so that is a lot of work, but the real work happens when you finally have people that depend on you, right? So those first hours, even though I was working, I would say a lot of hours during the period, people started to depend on me when we had our first investors and we had our first employees and we had our first users. Suddenly when something goes wrong, there is no one else there to fix that for you. Um, an experience I can specifically think of, I, I don't remember, I don't know if you were there, AJ, to remember this or not, but our launch day was in October mm-hmm. of 2019. I do remember that. We had just put together this beautiful marketing site and we were so stoked to get this out to everyone. The application was working brilliantly. We sent out our press release and our marketing site crashed. Like it, we had journalists just who were remembering like that. Yeah. trying to view what we're doing and we're having 19 second load times on our marketing site that was previously testing at two and a half seconds. Something happened with our hosting provider and it just stopped functioning on go day. And so we had started it was the day fine early before, already. fine after, but just that one day was horrible. Yeah, it was super weird. So we... That. We scrambled from you know early morning when we did the press release at 7 a.m. It, it took us about 12 hour, hours to migrate the marketing site to something that would then be scalable for the future. And we haven't had any problems since, but talk about a rough go when you know me and Tim are up there trying to fix it at 8 p.m., 12 hours after it's happened. And we did get some good solutions in, and then we had um, for a while a backup so that if one failed over, we'd have a failover to the next one. And that was good to have, but we didn't think about that from day one. And that, that was one of those ones that not only makes your heart sink, but the stress levels go up tenfold immediately. We've never used that hosting platform again. <laughs> good. I'm glad you can take my lessons and share yes. those with other portfolio companies. Yes. I, need, I need to make sure I know which one this is offline. We won't say their name on there. They're a local company. <laughs> but um, yeah, we learned a lot that day. That's a good story. I remember that now. What, uh, I mean, Midnight Founder, you've done all these cool things. Give us some advice, Spencer, on what, what things can entrepreneurs do better that you've learned. Entrepreneurs can always do things better, right? We come in all shapes and sizes. And so I don't think there is just one piece of advice that works for anyone. Mm-hmm. I shared maybe the most valuable lesson that I've learned over time, which is don't give up. Like, don't quit. You have to have that grit. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs give up on their ideas and dreams a little bit too early. Uh, for example, like YouTube wasn't the first company doing what they were doing, right? Someone else gave up on it before YouTube made it big. MySpace was headed in the right direction, just didn't quite work out for you know some reason. Poor MySpace. Yeah. So I, I think that we all need to learn from that. Like, don't give up. Like, if it's your dream, make it happen. But then there are some day-to-day things that there are some good lessons to be learned on. Uh, for example, like validating product and market, I think are, are really big. And some entrepreneurs jump that step. Um, as evidenced in like Saveology, I, I considered myself a relatively experienced entrepreneur by there. And I did a lot to validate product and to even validate that people would use the product. Yet I skipped a step somewhere in validating monetization. And I don't know maybe how I would have validated it before we built it, but th- we then use those learnings to get to the next step. And I think that's where some people probably would have given up. So I I like that. The last piece of advice is just do it. Like, just try it. There are times in your life where 
it's easier to do. For example, you're in college, right? Like you have all the time in the world on your hands. You can, I mean, there are plenty of people that would say they should put in the 80 hour studying. I think you could do some studying, but start something new on the side, you know, learn to sell t-shirts or lemonade or whatever it is that you want to do. Put those valuable lessons from school into practice. And, but if you sit on your hands, you will probably never take that leap. You'll go get your first cushy job at a consulting company and you'll think that life is good and then maybe never get out there again. But I, I love the entrepreneurship experience, and I think a lot of other people would if they just gave it a shot. So it sounds like your dad got you involved at an early age, and it, it <clears throat> had a positive influence on you. Are you doing that with, uh, it sounds like you have kids as well, uh, at least one, the eight-year-old, but uh, are you doing that as well with your kids? I am trying. We have three little boys, eight, six, and one, and we have helped them find ways to earn money. I don't think they fully understand the value of money yet, but... Uh, our boys have each run a couple different businesses, you know, side businesses in quotes. Uh, for example, together, they did a neighborhood project where they w- went around delivering flyers and knocking doors, asking if every week they could take out garbage cans to the street for garbage day and bring them back in and they would get paid. They were they set up monthly recurring revenue That's at age cool. six. That's Good awesome. That was the first one. That's and a great thing too, because I hate when you wake up to the garbage truck driving past your house, yep. or you just like, forget crap. altogether, and then you're like, I have a whole another week to try to fit garbage <laughs> in our full yeah. garbage can. It's terrible, especially in the summertime. Ugh. It happens. It's a valid pain point that needs yeah. to be solved. What did they like, call that service? Little, I'm curious. They didn't name it anything. They, they just they just did it. Flyers. Huh? It was okay. Royce and Miles trash can service. <laughs> That's fun. But they, I mean, they did it. Uh, two summers in a row and the only problem with it was a lot of garbage cans are a little bit too heavy for at that point a six and four year old to do and it required more work from mom and dad than we always wanted to put in and you know they didn't always go do the service with a smile they sometimes whined about having to do it but they liked the marketing of it getting it out to people and they loved the money that they earned from it we just have to go try again in the future when we can also teach them the value of hard work and that they have to do it for themselves. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I really like that idea. Yeah, same. But they, they love selling things. Like my kids are the ones on the street that sit out front selling popcorn, lemonade, cotton candy, Pokemon cards. They they sell a little bit of everything out there. And they don't make a lot of money doing it. But, um, you know, the, just this summer we taught them the value of buying a good and selling it at a a different price and understanding like what a net income was because our, I remember specifically talking to him, he was five at the time, he's now six. And he didn't understand why he would go spend $10 on these Rice Krispies and then go sell them. He's like, well, I don't want to spend the money, mom, you buy them and then I'll sell them. And so we, we broke it down for him to say, look, your goal is to sell these for a total of $25. But your cost of goods sold is this $10, and you have to sell at least $10 worth before you start eating them yourself, because this kid loves candy. (laughs) And after you sell $10 worth, that extra amount is your profit. And you can cut into that by eating your own Rice Krispies, but that's where you really make money to then go spend on Pokemon cards or whatever else you want. That's to hilarious. He'll never forget that. That was a great lesson. Yeah. My, my wife called me a couple years ago uh, one day, and she was like, we had, t- we had talked about like being kind or, or something with the kids. And she's like, your oldest daughter uh, took to heart this lesson. She had our checkbook, and she was out on the corner trying to hand out money. So she was doing the opposite. She was trying wow. to give the money away. She wasn't making money. 
You know, it, it's amazing though. <laughs> Not very sustainable, Jake. <laughs> these kids absorb lessons pretty yeah. quickly. Sometimes they need to be corrected or you know put back in, but. <laughs> They look at everything that we do and everything that we say, and it matters to them and it makes a difference. And I think one of the best times to teach kids about entrepreneurship or about money is when they're young. Yeah. They look at the fa- the practices of their family and a lot of people absorb those habits in, in their future life. Like I can think, for example, my wife was raised by a dentist at, who always made good money, but was never super disciplined with his money. And it's very hard to break those old habits of whatever money we make, we spend sometimes a little bit more than that. Uh, but I was raised in a family where like frugality was really valued. And I watched my mom take care of the money and balance the checkbook. And, and so I took some of those lessons. My little brother's way more frugal than I am. Like he really figured that out. I just took some of the baseline lessons, but at least I was exposed to those values at a young age because they make a big difference. Budgeting's hard. Kelsey and I did a budget a few months ago and she, we like went through all of our expenses or whatever. And I'm a foodie. And so we got to the Costco budget and I was like, we're not talking about this one. So we just like <laughs> pretended like that one Skip didn't it. exist. Skip it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. She was like, how much do we spend at Costco last year? I was like, we don't know. We don't know. We're just through, right through it. <laughs> you know, budgeting's not for everyone. Yeah. But cash flow management is. Yeah. We all have to understand how much we spend versus how much we make. And we don't have to boil that down to line items all the time. You can skip the Costco line item as long as, it's as, not long too as you much. know how much total was spent and yeah. that you're making a little bit more than that. There, there are different ways to do it. My recommendation is just to find the system that, that works for you. Yeah. And if it works for you, we can't argue with the results. If it is not producing the results you want, then maybe you should call up one of our financial coaches and we can help set you the right way. So how do they, how do they get in touch with Saveology? Well, Savology.com is our website, and uh, on the direct-to-consumer side, people can go and build a free financial plan just to get a taste of what it is and to set some goals for themselves, but most of our actual customers are these employers and financial advisors, so they go to Savology.com, learn about our financial wellness benefit product or our financial planning application, and they can reach out to our sales team from there or submit a form saying that they have questions, and we have very helpful account executives that can help them along the way. So Spencer, you you know you've seen some things as you've you've been going down this journey, and I'm sure there's some crazy stories you can share, like the one that you shared earlier. But what what is the most wild thing that, that has blown your mind that's happened to you? Or like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. It's it's really hard to think of just one that stands out. I would sure. say launch day at Savology was one that like really wrecked havoc on me and maybe gave me some post traumatic stress disorder <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> uh, but I will say. These experiences happen all the time. Like entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. And just to give you a taste of a couple of them, like we, so at Benefit Guard, we were getting ready to sell the company. Not only did our sale fall through multiple times and, you know, we had to hop back on the horn and see what, what else we could do to get them back on board. When we finally got the signatures, one of the clauses we have to bring all of our clients, we didn't know or hadn't properly prepared for this. Our contracts had non-assignment clauses in every one of our 401k contracts. And we had to bring all of those to a new entity, which meant we had to work with every single customer that we had to put them on a new contract just to move them over. And it was this two-week endeavor that we had to put Uh. it all together through. We ended up through a team effort that was heavily rewarded by every member of the team and very long hours. We got 99.7% of our contracts brought over. That was one where when I found out 
that we had to do that, I thought our chances of acquisition fell to zero because it was such a Herculean effort to go through. But Almost impossible. That's what I thought. I mean, I was amazed. Stars had to align. We probably had help from the universe to get that across the finish line. Uh, but that's where the value of a team comes in. You know, you get the right people on board that are bought into the mission and the vision and what you're doing, and you can make hard things happen. And, and we did that. So, you know, there's that story that was really difficult. Um, uh, a story that I think some people will be less thrilled about me sharing is you know, just a few months into one of my first big startups on my own, one of my co-founders slipped into like some drug abuse problems. And like, we just given this guy 30% of our company right? It gets those challenges you don't wow. come across in the real world, but they have real world implications. And, you know, we discover them in entrepreneurship and it took us months to figure out what to do with that and how to handle it. And, you know, these are these gnarly experiences that you have to go through to appreciate. But now I look back on them relatively fondly. Can't quite laugh yet. Maybe, maybe too soon, but almost right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Savology.com. That's where we go for more help with our personal finances and whatever financial uh, coaching we need, right? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for being here with us. This was fun. Glad you had me. Spencer, you're great. Appreciate you. Catch you later. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.